Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Daytona is a moment that every racer dreams of and on Saturday that dream came true for Eric Jones after losing his father Dave two years ago a man who sacrificed for his son's dream Eric shared the moment over the phone with his mother Carol who got him into motorsports at the age of seven an incredible night that the Jones family will always remember and with that we welcome you to NASCAR America presented by Mobile One Carol Amano alongside Parker Kligerman and joining us from Burton's Garage our Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett you know DJ we have been waiting for a breakthrough from one of the young drivers and what a moment for Eric Jones yeah what a great moment I can't even imagine what it's like to get your first win at Daytona you know this sport just brings surprises all the time we've seen Eric Jones and talked about him he's going to win here he's going to win there we thought it would be a short track certainly didn't think and by his own admission he didn't think that it would be at Daytona but he did everything right he kept himself out of most of the trouble that took place during the night and then was able to get to victory lane just a, a great win for this young man and DJ I just love the irony of the fact that leading into this race there was a lot of discussion about the young drivers not winning up to this point <laughs> that they needed to win more often and then one of them won, which I just thought was awesome. So it was great timing. Well, DJ mentioned the drama that we saw on Saturday night. It was absolutely wild at the World Center of Racing. Let's go back to Saturday night and show you how everything played out. The defending champ of this race, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., was a driver to watch. And he became the big story, Parker. Stage one, we'll start right at the beginning. He took the lead over the pole sitter, Chase Elliott, and he would go on to win stage one. Yeah, he continued the dominance they showed on the Super Speedways last year, obviously winning two of them, defending champion of this race, and goes on to win his and Roush Fenway Racing's first stage with all that speed. But DJ, on lap 54, the first big one of the night, and it happened early. Yeah, at this point, we'll just call it a couple of miscalculations at the front of the pack, and at 200 miles per hour, that leads to 26 cars crashing. Now, some of them were able to continue on, but uh, we see a block by Byron, and then things just started happening from that point. Uh, a few drivers were able to get their cars repaired and actually be a factor later on in the race. So it would be Ricky Stenhouse that would get into the back of Brad Keselowski in this particular incident. And then on lap 64, Parker, Stenhouse tries side-drafting Kyle Busch. The next yep. big one occurred. If the first one was definitely a set of miscalculations, then this was entirely Stenhouse's fault. He was trying to side-draft in an odd place at an odd time. I felt like with how fast his car was, riding there in third position on the bottom, he was in a great position. There was no reason to kind of take that risk and get so close to Kyle Busch and then eventually get into him and cause that wreck. 
hard hit for William Byron and Kyle Busch, and nice enough for Kyle to go check on William. Byron. Yeah, so their nights were done, and Stenhouse would continue. He would actually go on to win stage two as well. Lap 124, the 17 car involved once again. Well, you know, this is, might be a little bit of karma after the two <laughs> big wrecks he's involved in. Why not have one with just yourself and Kyle Larson, two sprint car buddies here. Obviously, Kyle Larson spins out. There's nowhere for Ricky Stenhouse to go right there. He's in the back of the pack where he wasn't most of the night, actually. But he would continue on because why not? It's a race of attrition. Just keep going at the this point. The super speedway giveth and the super speedway taketh away. And with five laps to go, DJ, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Clint Boyer out in front, and Joey Gates losing control. Yeah, Carolyn, you said it. Five laps to go. Everybody trying to get everything that they could. There were three, almost four wide entering turn three. That doesn't work many times. You can see a wheel assembly coming uh, loose there and going over the 10 car and continued on from that point. But uh, everybody was okay with that hard hit. And here's the first attempt, Parker, in overtime. Yeah, but it wasn't to be finished because Bubba Wallace gets in the back of Clint Boyer, then gets into Kevin Harvick in a large melee ensues. If big wrecks weren't the theme of the night, after this one, it certainly was. You see the two Stuart Haas racing teammates chatting about that one on the way back. Smiles. Yeah. Smiles all around, so not too bad. And then Eric Jones, DJ, the final lap. He takes the lead. His old teammate there in the 78 close by. This would just be his night. Yeah, he made a great move uh, up on the outside uh, previously to get himself in that position. Chris Buescher uh, had a nice run, gave him a big push, and Eric Jones did everything he needed to do from that point forward to get to the finish line first. You were right there, Parker. I was, and the best part about all this was about a couple laps before that, his crew chief came on and said when the 78, the 4, and, the, and I believe one of the other cars had one was up there, he said, we're in a great position. We'll finish right behind them. We don't even have to win this race. <laughs> <laughs> so the first win of Eric Jones' Cup career, what a night. He became the 19th driver to score his first Cup Series win at Daytona. Behind him and runner-up Martin Truex Jr. were a bunch of drivers who made the most of this race. We're going to have more on them later in the show. But as we look to the notables here, so many of the sport's biggest names, virtually all of them, were caught up in the night's major crashes, including two of the big three in Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch. They were left frustrated at the end of the night. But that Jones boy was on top of the world. Oh, boy. How about that race, boys and girls? Huh? <laughs> what is, that was something else, man. I thought, uh, I thought we were out of it, and then all of a sudden we're right back in it and take the lead and ran away but uh wow what an awesome race by toyota.com on here and uh my first cup win my first win at daytona my first super speedway win what an awesome day man it's uh i'm out of breath too much smoke in the car from that burnout i can barely breathe but what an awesome finish thank you so much i uh oh it was uh, a lot of hard work to be here man i was thinking about uh I was thinking about my mom and dad right after the checker. My mom stayed home from this one. She's going to have missed my first cup win, so hi, Mom. Uh, and my dad, man, he would have been so proud of the work we did to get here. It's just, uh, just an awesome day for us. Raw reaction there from Eric Jones. He was only 41 points ahead of the playoff cut line entering Daytona, but he is now set for the postseason with his win. Jones is the seventh driver to qualify with a victory and the first new driver to do so since Joey Logano at Talladega all the way back in April. And if you look at Jones's career, it's been on a steady climb. The 22-year-old won the truck championship in 2015. The following year, he made the Xfinity Series Championship 4. Last year, he was the Monster Energy Cup Series Rookie of the Year. And now he has his first Cup win. 
And it just seems, Parker, that this was such a popular win for everybody involved, uh, people that he has worked with and for, and also the drivers who were right there to congratulate him, both in the moment and on social media. Yeah, I was actually able to be in victory lane when a lot of that was going on. I saw Barney Visser come up, Bubba Wallace came up, uh, a couple other drivers. But you know the thing is, I actually was at Kyle Busch Motorsports when Eric first came into Kyle Busch Motorsports after Kyle seeing him at the Snowball Derby and, and tabbing him to be the next big thing. And I remember meeting him and thinking, ah, oh, this is kind of an awkward young kid. Not sure how far he'll go. And then he got into a Campbell Truck Series race. I believe it was at Phoenix and absolutely just went out there and won the thing. And it was such an impressive drive. I thought, I can now see it. I see what everyone else has seen in him. And from that moment on, I feel like so many people, Toyota, Joe Gibbs, Borny Visser, have felt like this, that there was so much potential with Eric Jones. And everyone you talked to always felt like the win is coming. Something's coming here. And he finally got it done at a place that not many people thought he would, not even himself. Talking to his crew chief, Chris Gale, before the race, he said, you know, we desperately need stage points and we desperately want to win, but we're not expecting it here. We're not putting all our eggs in this basket because they had not run well at Super Speedways. He didn't enjoy them. And he goes and gets his first win at one. Yeah, you know, DJ, it's one thing to talk about his talent and the fact that we sensed that a win was coming. But, you know, in a sport that is all about stories, to have it just pay off in this way. I know you mentioned it at the top of the show, but what an incredible experience for him to have after having been through so much these last couple of years. Yeah, you're exactly right, Carolyn. You know, we talk about and we build these young drivers up. Uh, I actually saw that race Parker was talking about that he ran at Phoenix. That was my first time really watching Eric Jones run a car. And he, as you said, he just destroyed the field. And I said, this is a young man with things I saw him do that night, that, that he has a bright future in this. But you can say all of these things, you can watch him do them, but there's no guarantees as the, to the amount of success you may have in this sport. Even though he's going to Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, he was given a great opportunity by Toyota. Uh, Barney Visser and, and uh, Fern Giroux gave him a, a chance last year to get his cup career started. And then back to Joe Gibbs Racing. Again, there's just no guarantees. You don't know when that whole pairing is going to work out, when things are going to happen uh, to go your way. And this certainly wasn't a night, uh, just as Parker was talking about and Chris Gale said, and even uh, Eric Jones said, look, all we wanted to do was try to make sure that we stayed inside that top 16, not shoot ourselves in the foot on this night and sometimes when you're a little bit more relaxed about things not thinking about this is a race I need to go win as a lot of other drivers were thinking and it was quite obvious in their driving tactics uh, Eric Jones was just going to be satisfied to have a solid night and, and uh, maybe make uh, his distance between uh, that 16th spot in the playoff points uh, a little larger uh, he was able to go to victory lane but he's going to win a lot more races but it's really nice to get your career started with a win at Daytona you know, I was particularly moved, DJ, uh, seeing Kyle Busch come over and congratulate him, and he put up a tweet on social media. I think we have it. Let's see what it says. So, I'm so proud of you, Eric Jones. I knew the day I met you, and then when you beat me at the Snowball Derby, which is what Parker mentioned, which is a super late model race, one that's really well known, that you had so much talent. You had to overcome a lot these past few years, but you're a fighter. I'm proud of you. I know your dad is up there celebrating. How would you describe, DJ, the role that Kyle Busch has played in, in his career further? Well, I, you know, Kyle Busch is one that, that made his name uh, mentioned and, and put it out there right after he lost that uh, snowball derby to Eric Jones. And so he made everyone aware at that time. And so then it was the truck ride at, at Kyle Busch Motorsports that he was able to get then. And so things just started to, to move forward for him. And I think Kyle has always been a big supporter. They had some really good races against each other uh, in the on the Xfinity side of it. And so I think that Kyle realizes that Eric Jones is a lot like Kyle Busch. 
Bush. He loves to drive a race car. He's very good at driving a race car. And I think that there's something in that young man that Kyle Busch sees uh, that it's a lot like him as a driver. And I think that's just a huge amount of respect. And I think that Eric Jones has a good friend in Kyle Busch. And it was nice to see Kyle do all of those things. That just shows us, you know, sometimes we forget with all the things that go on and uh, a lot of people that didn't like everything that Kyle Busch did after he won last week or in getting that win. Uh, you know, this is, he's a good person and, and he appreciates the hard work and efforts that it takes to get there and realizing everything that Eric had been through. And, and one of the biggest things that probably Kyle Busch did for his career, aside from, you know, tapping on the shoulder, was really introducing him to Toyota. And, you know, what Toyota has done in supporting Eric Jones and bringing him through the ranks. And basically, he was kind of the template for what now has become their drive development program with guys like Christopher Bell coming through the ranks. So it's something that, you know, that manufacturer really latched on the idea that they wanted top talent in a feeder system. And he was the start of that. And now they're really paying off of him, obviously, winning at the top level. Well, we know that patience is key, especially for a driver like Eric Jones to get this win and some of the other drivers that we saw come from the back of the field and really have an opportunity in this race. It seems like Ricky Stoush Jr. may not have gotten the message. Didn't make a ton of friends. In his own words, he said he was too aggressive. The question is, did the Roush family racer go too far on Saturday? Our analysts are going to weigh in. Brad Kozlowski did not mince words after being taken out in the big one. We're going to hear the warning that he sent to his fellow drivers going forward. And we're also going to discuss the drivers that managed to score those unexpected finishes toward the front. Who are they? What were they able to do? Plus, highlights from an Xfinity Series thriller that left NASCAR having to really draw the line. Much more ahead on NASCAR America. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Saturday night, the Monster Energy Cup Series rolling under the lights. Drivers taking on the challenging mile and a half at Kentucky Speedway. That's live at 7.30 Eastern, and that one is right here on NBCSN. We're looking forward to it. And Brad Kozlowski is a driver that's had great success at Kentucky. He's won three of the seven cup races that have been held there, but he was in no mood to talk about his past success when Saturday night ended in Daytona. And here's why. Kozlowski was one of 26 drivers that got caught up in the big one on that 54, of course. He was running in the top three at the time alongside Kurt Busch and just behind William Byron. Kozlowski checked up. He got bumped by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Some chaos ensued. We've detailed that. But Kozlowski did not point the finger at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Yeah, I'm okay. You know, Ricky was pushing. He didn't do anything wrong. Just, uh... My fault, you know, uh, in a really fast Miller Lite Ford. And, uh, you know, Dave, I'm just not wrecking enough people. I need to wreck more people so they'll stop throwing bad blocks. Um, and that's what's happening to me on the plate track. So, you know, everybody that's watching all them drivers out there throw another bad block. I mean, I'm just going to drive through you and wreck you. So look out and tell Dave. Some big words there from Brad Keselowski immediately after the incident. Is he right to be frustrated with William Byron? I don't think he's wrong. I mean, in this modern form of super speedway racing, track position is the most important thing. And so trying to keep that track position is one of the things that you do, which by doing by keeping track position, you do that by blocking, right? And actually the two and the 22 car were the ones that really started this. They called it managing for a while on the radio and such. 
and this is called managing the front of the pack. You're trying to manage the lines. You bring one line up, so as soon as they get close, then you move to the next line, and you move, you bring them back up, and you get the two lines working against each other, and that's what William Byron was trying to do. He'd watched race tape, he'd done all his homework, knew that those guys were some of the best at it, and so when he was at the front of this pack, he was trying to manage the lines. Now, was that a late block? I mean, he cleared them. You know, he didn't clip Brad Kozlowski, but Brad had to check up, and therefore, at that point in the race, maybe it was a little unnecessary to throw that big a block, but it goes back to the same thing of what I said earlier, in this form of super speed racing, if you don't throw that block, there's no saying that you're not going to go back to 20th, 25th, and then your day might be over because getting back to the front is so tough. So you are saying, just long story short, William Byron was well within his rights to do what he did. I think he was well he within did. his rights to do that. DJ, where is the line between being defensive and everything that Parker's talking about and doing something that crosses the line, whatever Brackislavski saw? Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with what Brad said or what Parker said with his analogy there. But what I'm going to tell you is, is that, okay, these young drivers that haven't been in that position before, they watch tape, as Parker was just saying, and this looks like the right move to make. But he hasn't been in this position very little, if any. And so understanding the situation that you're putting yourself in, I've got no problem with somebody blocking but I don't want you getting out of your car whenever I don't lift out of the gas and I turn you around in front of the rest of the field and saying something about getting turned. If you're going to block, then you have to be willing to take the responsibility and accept what comes with that, too. It could have very easily, if Brad would have stayed in the gas, uh, it could have very easily been the 24 that was spinning in front. But at this point in time, 54 laps into the race, Brad just thought the best thing to do at this point in time was to ease out hoping that everybody behind him might see this. And, and unfortunately, Ricky Stenhouse wasn't maybe paying enough attention there seeing what was happening. Instead, was trying to shoot down below there instead of rolling out of the gas and giving his Ford uh, counterpart there uh, the opportunity to, to lift out of the gas. And, and unfortunately, Brad and a number of others got taken there. So, uh, hey, it is a part of the racing now, but you have to accept every responsibility on both ends of it. We'll see if um, tempers calm down Agreed. a little well bit said. in the following weeks. Yeah, well said on both sides. Listen, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wasn't the driver that Brad Keselowski was pointing his finger at in the aftermath of that. But the fact remains that that incident was the first for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He finished 17th. He spoke with Marty Snyder afterwards. Let's listen to what Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had to say. You know, we were aggressive. Uh, we were aggressive here in February. We were aggressive at Talladega. And I feel like that's what pays off for us, um, you know, after, you know, winning both of them last year, uh, just being aggressive and making sure I keep my track position. And, uh, you know, I was bummed that that first one happened. You know, I thought the 24 threw a pretty aggressive block on the two. And, and I actually thought we were going to get to the inside of them. And, you know, Brad had to check up and, you know, obviously it took all my forward performance teammates out of it. So that was a bummer, um, you know, but like I just said, I, I couldn't be super mad at the 24. I threw a block. Uh, I think on the 12, um, you know, in February and caused a, a wreck real similar to that. So, uh, and then the second one with the 18, I was just really aggressive, uh, trying to keep my track position and trying to get my fifth, third, forward back out front. It was, it was a dominant car tonight. We showed that. Uh, all the guys at the shop have done an amazing job on our speedway cars. So, um, you know, we didn't really lose any points tonight to, you know, to 16th uh, or, you know, to the 88. So uh, we'll continue to fight each week. Yeah, DJ, I don't know when I listened to that. You know, he said that they were really aggressive. He said you can't blame William Byron because he had an incident like that similarly. Um, what is your interpretation of what he did? What was fair and what was foul about some of those incidents involving Ricky Stenhouse Jr.? 
Well, the, the first one, I'll give him a pass on. That's happening, you know, at, at high speeds and things happening very quickly there. Certainly, uh, getting over to, to Kyle Busch whenever they're sitting there running second and third, most of the field and a lot of the competitors you were going to have to outrun have been eliminated in a huge wreck previous to this. There is no reason to be pushing the issue. You can be aggressive, but just be a little bit smart along the way. This is your one chance, really. I mean, Ricky, House, Ricky Stenhouse hasn't won anywhere else yet. I think he will in his career, but he hasn't done that. He's got, again, one of the fastest, if not the fastest car there. This is your opportunity to get yourself cemented into the playoffs. Be a little bit smart about things. Yeah, be aggressive. I don't care. Be as aggressive as you need to be, but be smart about it. There was no sense in putting yourself in that position. And he continued on from this and still had uh, things well in hand with a fast race car. But that was only going to get him. It's going to bite him at some point in time. And I know what eventually got him uh, was just a freak accident uh, with the, tw the 42 blowing a tire right in front of him. But you have to be smart to win these races. And, and so uh, aggressive is great. you got to be that. But uh, show that you have the patience and the ability to get a fast race car to the end to give yourself that chance. And I know he said, you know, he actually ended up gaining a few points on 16th, but this was his night to make things happen because they haven't proven on these other racetracks that they can gain enough points to get themselves in that top 16. And, DJ, that's the point, though. You know, Marty Snyder, the morning of the race, said that throughout the garage there was a palpable sense of desperation, right? You could feel like teams like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. felt like this was their opportunity to win. This is how they locked themselves in the playoffs. And so he went in that race with so much confidence, obviously with a lot of desire and a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And think about where he's at in his career and with that organization, Roush Family Racing. This is a once very prominent, very well-respected organization that has now struggled for the last couple of years. Their best chance of making the, place, the postseason, the playoffs, everything that matters for these organizations and what they sell the sponsors is this one race, right? And he has the entire weight of that organization on his shoulders, and he has won there before. His confidence is high. He's going to go in there with aggression. I just feel like there was a lot of fans out there they were falsely accusing him, one, of the first wreck, which I agree with DJ. I don't think that's entirely on him at all. The second one, yes, I feel like that was overly aggressive. That was an odd place to be side-drafting. As you said, DJ, most of the guys that he was racing against or would have been racing for this win were already eliminated. He was in a great position with a very fast car. This was completely unnecessary. He wasn't being smart there. But the way he raced and what he was doing there, I feel like this goes to a broader picture of where you have many fans that complain, we don't want guys to just ride around in circles. We don't want to see them just drive cars around. We want to see excitement. We want to see them going for the win every single time. And we want pressure on them. So we now have a playoff situation, right, where these drivers now have the pressure to make the playoffs. And you watch a driver like him go out there and actually do those things, be aggressive, try to win, do every, put everything on the line, leave everything on the racetrack. And they, get, they give him, you know, flack for it. I'm not going to chastise the guy for that. I think he was a little overaggressive once, but he did what he had to do because of the pressure on him. Yeah, but, you know, Parker, every, you can be as aggressive as you want to, but be a little bit smart about the, the things that you need to do to get yourself to the end. It makes no difference how, how fast you were and how good a car you had if you can't get it to the end of the race and not have a chance with the one opportunity, really. Because, quite honestly, well, nobody else has had a chance. The three-plate race is the only place that anybody's won except for, for those other four drivers. So there's not much of a chance that you're going to go somewhere else and, and secure that win. So along when you have that fast race car, just show the ability 
uh, physically and mentally to get the race car there and give yourself a chance at the end. That's all I'm saying. Hey, I want aggressive racing. I love to watch fun racing uh, and guys being aggressive, but be smart about it so that you know in this opportunity with that car that you're going to give yourself a chance when it really counts. No doubt. Being smart is what matters. I, I agree with that 100%. Okay. You have to be smart and aggressive. One of the things that was interesting that came out of the weekend is we spent so much time talking about blocking. What what was William Byron? Was he in the right? Was he in the wrong? The defending champ of the Cup Series, Martin Truex Jr., had something interesting to say about blocking. Let's take a listen to his point of view. I got to get better at the blocking. Um, uh, it's never been my strong suit, with it, you know, without a question. I, I struggle a little bit um, seeing the runs coming, and me and my spotter are still trying to figure it out together. So put this into layman's terms with us, DJ. You have the defending series champ saying he basically needs to work on this. Okay, so he's listening. I hope he's listening to Parker because Parker <laughs> said it's a part of racing now, and it is as we watch this. You have to be able to do it. Here's the thing that I think people have noticed, and Martin even backed it up by actually saying it, that he's not comfortable in that situation between what he's able to feel as a driver and not getting the help that he needs from his spotter when these runs are really coming to cut that off. So now everybody knows that there's a slight weakness right there with Martin Truex. And what do race drivers do when they sense that somebody has a small weakness? They exploit that every opportunity that they get. I really thought Martin was in a great place to, to win his first plate race and, and take this Daytona win home. But in not making that move on Casey Kane, he put himself in a vulnerable position there. And now everyone knows that, that that's something. And, you know, it's an uncomfortable situation sometimes, Parker, that, that you put yourself in that blocking situation. But uh, that's just not where Martin is right now. Yeah, and the, the point to how important it is, when I go to a super speedway, there's one thing I focus on, and that is timing my move between a lane that's coming compared to the lane I'm in, which means throwing a block. When there's all I think about, all I do to adjust my mirrors, all I talk about with my spotter is that late in the race move that I have to make when I'm leading one lane and there's another lane coming. How am I going to block them? When do I have to move? When is the right time to make it and catch them off guard and chase, make sure they can't get around me? That is the sole thing I focus on, and that's how you win these races. So, of course, I agree with Martin 100%. If he doesn't feel like he's up to snuff on that, he's not timing it right, then they have to go do their homework because that's how you will win these races. Interesting quote by DJ that he might have laid a weakness out on the table. Yeah. We know that these things are a war of attrition. It certainly was on Saturday. It also, though, gave drivers that we don't normally see at the front an opportunity to really shine. So who are the Saturday night surprises at Daytona? We're going to tell you when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. In addition to Eric Jones getting his first career win, there were some other unexpected finishes on Saturday night. A.J. Allmendinger has four straight top tens at Daytona, the longest active streak. Casey Kane ran a strong race. He finished in fourth. Chris Buescher is the only driver to finish top five in both Daytona races this year. Ty Dillon notching his first career top ten. Let's hear from some of these guys, beginning with the driver of the number 13 Geico Chevrolet. It was uh, definitely an exciting one. We, we had a really fast Geico military Camaro all night, and just um, I think everybody had issues tonight. We just kind of timed it at the right time and had enough speed at the end to, to get ourselves in a good position, get a good first top 10 finish with, with us and, and Jermaine racing and Geico, so that feels good. I, I finished sixth at Talladega for Tony filling in, but I didn't get credited with it, so uh, to back that up and have another good finish tonight feels good. Hopefully we can get some good momentum going with our team. It's, it's what we need, and I feel really good racing on these super speedways. I get more and more confident every year, and one year we're going to be in victory lane here soon.
you know, I thought our Kroger Clickless Chevy was, was pretty fast. Once it had that damage, it had a lot of drag on it. Then I think I missed about another 20 wrecks. And uh, at the end, it still had a shot to win the race and uh, tried to make the move at the end there. But, uh, you know, to get to a, a top three at Daytona, both cars in the top five. So I think that's uh, both races we've had, both cars in the top ten. So uh, solid night. Yeah, definitely a good points night for us. Um, you know, for uh, for the Speedway racing, we're, we're starting to get consistent with it at least. Um, my Cup Speedway racing career started off really poorly and uh, upside down, head on, whatever you want to call it. And um, we're, we're getting a, a, a hand around it a little bit here now. So uh, to come here and, and be in the top five at the 500, uh, get another top five tonight. Um, you know, we'll go to Talladega, see if that can be another good points night for us. But it's, um, it's a good start. All you can ask is to be in position and, and to be there to try and do something. And we were. I knew I had a shot. I knew I had a car capable. Um, from once we got in, you know, once we got going in the second stage on, I knew my car was capable of winning. It was just a matter of where I put it in, and I ended up fourth, so not good enough. For a smaller team like this, how important is a top five? Really important. We were in, uh, I think, fourth and fourth in the final two stages there, so that was, it's great for our team. Uh, we were great in Sonoma, good here. Uh, we keep fighting. The guys do a great job. We just, uh, just need to keep, keep getting more consistent, but we're getting there slowly but surely. I feel like if you're a real race fan, the big one coming so soon gave you such an opportunity to see the back half of the field and watch them compete. When you think about all the drivers that put themselves in position to have really good finishes, who stood out to you? Well, Casey Kane, that 95 car. I mean, first of all, he was really in position to win, probably picked the wrong spot on the, one of the late race restarts and got swamped by some of the other cars, and it felt like that was the wrong decision. But, you know, when you look at the broader spectrum for this team, I mean, this is a team that invested heavily in this year in getting Casey Kane. They made a big change in that organization. They went out there and got a new crew chief who they have already replaced through this point in the season. And it's been, to say it's been a disappointment would probably be an understatement. This team expected a lot more out of this year in getting Casey Kane and the investments that they made, Bob Levine, Levine Family Racing. And so I, I just think that when you look at this this night, it was huge for them because it was a little bit of validation. You know, for all that they've put into this year, they finally got that performance up at the front of the field and a taste, just a small taste of maybe getting to victory lane, which can keep a team going for a long time. DJ, what about you? Uh, I look at Chris Buescher. I mean, to for two races at Daytona with everything that happened in both of these races, for him to come out with two top five finishes says a lot about the talent and the patience of this young man. And he didn't just ride around. He, he raced hard. He realized what he had to work with, and he made the very most of that. So I was really impressed. I don't think he had a scratch on this car, which probably nobody else, maybe Martin Truex Jr. could say that. But he did a really solid job. And, and you know that somebody has a lot of talent and understands that type of racing when they're able to perform like that, especially twice in the same year. While we're doing this, let's take a look at some other unexpected finishes from Daytona because there were such a number of them. And if you look at this, Matt Benedetto earning his first top 10 since last year's Brickyard 400. you got Alex Bowman scored his third straight top 10 run. Jeffrey Earnhardt and DJ Kennington each had career best finishes. Brennan Gond also in the lead pack. Let's hear from a few of these drivers now. That was one of the craziest races I've ever uh, taken part in. So. Um, we just, you know, at Super Speedway, it's kind of our time to, to shine, evens everybody out a little bit, and as a small operation, everybody knows we're 15 people total, so uh, um, we just played it smart for a while, and then at the end, it was checkers or wreckers, and uh, hold it wide open, and I shoved the heck out of the bottom lane, try and give them a good push, and um, I stalled out a little bit on the backstretch because every corner on the race car has some serious form of damage. We weren't the most aerodynamic piece, but, um, you know, everybody knows how hard I've worked to get here in my career, how to do it the old school way. 
um, one day everybody will see me in victory lane. I'm not stopping here, um, but it's fun to have times like this where we can shine. Yeah, we had a, a good car to start and just got damaged early, and it seemed like every move I made somehow ended up being the wrong one, and um, we got shuffled a couple times, and we're able to stay up in the top 10 most of the night, but just uh, kind of wrong place, wrong time, or I made the wrong decisions at times, but really proud of my, uh, my Hendrick Motorsports guys for getting that thing back on the racetrack after that last one. It was uh, pretty tore up, so proud of them for fighting all night. They worked their butts off. Uh, to get another top 10 is not a terrible day, um, but uh, could have been a lot better, I feel like, and probably learned a bit and can make some better decisions next time. DJ, the thing that comes to my mind is Hendrick Motorsports overall. They don't have a win this season. They've got three drivers in the playoffs right now. But if you look at where they are, none of those spots are secure. No, they really aren't. Uh, you know, with Jimmy Johnson and, and uh, having a, a bad night, but uh, and, and along with Chase Elliott, you know, they, they lost a number of points. And you can see right here the, the graphic. A lot of people uh, that aren't secured or don't have a spot secured yet lost a lot. But in particular, uh, that Hendrick Motorsports group, you know, there is nobody that you would consider safe uh, when you look at the playoff standing. So they still have a lot of work to do. Uh, I look for Kentucky looking ahead this weekend. It's another night race. The opportunity for them, uh, we saw them back at Charlotte have a better performance under the lights with a cooler racetrack that the the Chevrolets, the new Camaros, ran a lot better, and in particular, Hendrick Motorsports did. So let's see if they can pick it up again and get themselves a little further ahead of that 16th spot. Good point, DJ, about the night race. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. But, man, I just think, you know, with how many races we have left to the playoffs, what a, a position that Hendrick Motorsports is in. If you think about someone like maybe a Daniel Suarez or Jim McMurray going out there, or Ryan Newman getting victory lane, suddenly they're going to find themselves in a really bad situation. So, I mean, Daytona was hurtful. You know, when you look at Chase Elliott falling back into the clutches of, of someone like Ricky Stenhouse Jr., maybe going out there and having some good finishes, or Daniel Suarez or Ryan Newman getting victory lane. It's just really put them in a vulnerable position as we go into this end of the summer stretch towards the playoffs in terms of guaranteeing themselves in there. And I mean, it's amazing. I know we've talked about them all year and their struggles for performance, but it's just amazing to be talking about Hendrick Motorsports in a position where they have one car vastly out and three cars that are very much in a vulnerable position to make it. Yeah, you said Daytona's hurtful, not just in the Cup Series. There are also playoff implications on the line in the Xfinity Series, and that is where you're going to turn our attention to next. Thriller of its own on Friday night at Daytona, and it all came down to a very controversial finish. We'll have the highlights for you and discuss it when we come back. Stay with us on NASCAR America. Iowa Speedway in Corn Country, the site for round 11 of the Verizon IndyCar Series, where up front it was a Team Penske battle early on. Will Power led from the pole position until Joseph Newgarden, the reigning series champ, got by. And just when it appeared that Joseph would drive all the way to the victory, James Hinchcliffe got by him. A late race incident between Ed Carpenter and Takuma Sato was a little scary. Not scary for Hinch. He wins the week before his home race on the streets of Toronto. Our thanks to Lee Divvy for that recap. And yes, Toronto is up next. The teammates, Jim, James Hinchcliffe, Robert Wickens coming home. They have their sights set on victory. Verizon IndyCar Series racing from Toronto is Sunday at 3.30 Eastern. That one's right here on NBCSN. We hope you're with us for that. In the meantime, let's turn to the Xfinity Series race on Friday at Daytona. And DJ will pick it up with 19 laps to go here. Austin Sindrick getting turned by Matt Tiff. Matt's a pile up here. Yeah, uh, Austin Sim done a great job all night long, but left just a little bit too much room there, especially this late in the race. Matt Tiff thought he had an opportunity to get there. You can see Sendrick came back up, hit another car, rolls over. Everybody was okay, though. 
Here's the three to go. Jeff Green getting into the back of Cole Custer. That would knock out even more cars. And then Parker, take us through overtime here. Yeah, you got Kyle Larson and Elliot Sather that are battling to the lanes, the line side draft each other. And Justin Haley makes an awesome pass down the bottom, but he would give too much room to Elliot Sather, put his left side below the L line and making the pass. That is a no-no, it's illegal. The win goes the 42 over, or with inches over Elliott Sather, who loses second Daytona race like that this yeah. year. And Kyle Larson's now won his last three starts in the Xfinity Series, by the way. Behind him, some great runs in the top 10, including a fifth place effort for Kaz Grala. Kaz, check this out. He drove a 10-year-old car that had never been in a race. It was set to become a show car for Stuart Haas Racing before his team took it to Daytona. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? That is so Tony awesome. Tony Jr. working his match. Incredible. Magic. Kyle Larson's win kept Elliott Sadler from becoming the fourth driver to qualify for the Xfinity Series playoffs with a victory. Sadler still best on points at fourth on the playoff leaderboard after the race. Larson, Haley, and Sadler all reacting to Friday's finish. I honestly didn't even think I had a shot at winning that until you know, I pulled over here to the lug nut check and I could see the big screen where he, you know, Kind of went below the yellow line, so a uh, little bit of a shock for me, but uh, this is awesome. You know, win both stages, win the race. Uh, it means a lot for me and DC Solar, uh, everybody at Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I've been I've been close, I feel like, every time to win an Xfinity race here at Daytona, so it's nice to finally get it done. You know, seeing the replay there, there was, there was room for me to go up, so I don't know why they're calling me um, like that, but, you know. Uh, not how we wanted it to end, but like I said, um, I'm running trucks full season, and this is just an opportunity to come over here part-time, and I'm extremely blessed to even get the opportunity. I hate it for my guys. They, they work way too hard for me to keep finishing second here at Daytona, and uh, they gave me another fast uh, Armour Chili Chevrolet, and uh, I should have capitalized on it and felt like I was in a good spot there at the end beside Ky uh, Larson, but um, just wasn't meant to be. So, Parker, you just heard Justin say he thought that there was some room for him to go up, and he was a little bit perplexed by why the call was made. I look at it, and I see it as pretty straightforward. Did NASCAR make the right call here? 100%. I've never seen a more uh, clear-cut version of the yellow line uh, penalty or the yellow line rule. I mean, every driver's mean you go to at a super speedway, they drill it in our heads. Do not race below the yellow line. If you are deemed to go below the yellow line, you know, it is up to our judgment if we would make a call or not to penalize you. And so it's just simple as that. I mean, there was room for him to go below, to stay, to make that pass without going below the yellow line. It was just a misjudgment in his part. I think, he, you know, he, he made an awesome move. He got really excited and just made that small mistake. But, yeah, it was 100% the right call by NASCAR. You know, DJ, you think about Elliot Sadler, always contending, but has not won in 55 races. What does he need to do? I mean, we are talking about a foot, you know, inches here. Yeah, he might need to find a rabbit's foot or something. I don't know. He's <laughs> got to do something a little different. But, yeah, three inches in the first race uh, back in February, 12 inches there. So that's two second-place finishes by 15 inches in these two races. But I, I know, Elliot, you could hear the dejection in his voice and apologizing to his crew. He really has nothing to apologize. He puts himself in position to win these races. It just – he hasn't gotten the help that you really need to make all of this happen at the end. Nobody lining up behind him to give him that little bit of a push that he needs. So uh, he's doing all the right things, and, and uh, hopefully one day it'll turn around for him. But, you know, he, he does do a tremendous job. And it was a good points night for him, although he was looking for a trophy instead yeah all right coming up we are going to go back to the cup series we're going to hear from one of eric jones's crew members who played a big role in the win saturday night at daytona stay with us more discussion still ahead from racing under the lights in daytona we'll be right back
Welcome back, everybody. You may have seen that Denny Hamlin had a special number 11 FedEx Cares paint scheme this past weekend. It highlighted FedEx's relationship with Team Rubicon, which is a group of ex-military members that now volunteers first responders in time of natural disasters, including Hurricane Irma in Florida last year. Hamlin and the entire 11 team took part in a training exercise with Team Rubicon this past Friday morning. What I love about Team Rubicon is that these are military members that have served their country that have now come back and want to continue to serve their community. They do a lot of training. They'll host four-hour classes uh, to, to a community that they know is going to get hit to teach these people what they can do to better prepare their homes uh, for a hurricane or tornado. Team Rubicon, they want to go in and, again, some of the worst times in people's lives and change that experience to go from a disaster to at least a sense of hope. This is a natural connection uh, from a tactical standpoint, logistics standpoint. They deploy a lot of people a lot of places. We move a lot of things. We connect people and possibilities. What's really neat about Team Rubicon is it's about volunteers. You know, they give us the one thing, you know, no matter how, how much money our donors that give us, the one thing we can't buy is people's time. Uh, and these, these folks come in and they say, you know, I, I have skills and experiences and education from the military. I can make a difference. And we train, man, and equip them, and we send them out, uh, and they have incredible impact in these communities. Yeah, Team Rubicon is phenomenal. They go to a lot of places that a lot of people won't. And it's great that FedEx Definitely. and Denny Hamlin partnered with them in that way. Meanwhile, um, Hamlin's teammate, Eric Jones, won his first cup race. So let's give his team some props with our pit crew review. spotter the number 20. Uh, today here at Daytona was something here. We uh, had a really fast car and uh, you know today we had a game plan come in. If we got too much trouble, get out of it. We were lapped down for a while, worked our way back through the pit cycle, had great pit stops, great calls all night. It seemed like everything came into our own when we got there and then at the end we got to the front and then we just had a great exit of four and come back here to start finish line and you know it was great to be a part of this uh, First win with Eric Jones. I mean, he's a heck of a racer, and you know, the last couple of weeks it showed. This is a really special night, and Rick Corelli is no stranger to victory lane himself. As a driver, the High Plains Drifter had numerous wins competing on the West Coast. He was a four-time winner in the Truck Series. On Saturday night, he was able to help Eric Jones navigate his way through the field on his way to victory lane. Looked like he was a little bit tired as well. Yeah, well, they do a lot of work, those spotters at Daytona and Talladega. Good night's sleep. Um, Eric Jones now racing for a championship when the playoff hits. The new Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval on September 30th. And actually some big news earlier today. Ooh. Charlotte confirmed that the race will have a distance of 400 kilometers. So that's just under 250 miles. Drivers going to turn 109 laps on this 2.28-mile 17-turn circuit, and many of them are going to be part of an open test on the Roval. That takes place both tomorrow and also on July 17th. We're going to have much more on the first day of Roval testing from Charlotte in tomorrow's show as well. And for those of you in the area, testing 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Ooh. attendance tomorrow is free, so if you want to go get a look at it, should be cool. should be a great good time to look do at it. it. And I'm just glad they changed it to 400 kilometers and not the 500 miles because I think it would have been 500 miles or 24 hours. <laughs> Whatever comes first. You know what? I'm not a math major. You already <laughs> lost me. But it looks really cool. It and does I can't look wait. cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It it's going to be awesome. I think it's the best representation of what we've, uh, you know, what we could see possibly being the idea of a street course in NASCAR. It's yeah. going to be very tight. Yeah. So if you're in the area, make sure you go and check that out. Um, we are also betting that a lot of folks in the NASCAR America Fantasy League had a really rough Saturday night, Ooh, including yeah. myself. When we come back, uh, we are going to see how the Daytona chaos 
Shut the I don't even know why room. I participate in these fancy things <laughs> I'm anymore. Pretty sure I should just quit. I am done. Um, we'll be back with that after this. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. race by toyota.com on here and uh my first cup win my first win at daytona my first super speedway win what an awesome day man it's uh i'm out of breath too much smoke in the car from that burnout i can barely breathe but what an awesome finish thank you so much i uh oh it was uh, a lot of hard work to be here man i was thinking about uh i was thinking about my mom and dad right after the checker my mom stayed home from this one She's going to have missed my first cup win, so hi, Mom. Uh, and my dad, man, he would have been so proud of the work we did to get here. It's just, uh, just an awesome day for us. I cannot see that interview Not enough. enough. Eric Jones speaking with our Rutledge Wood there. And by the way, two races into our NASCAR Fantasy Live League, Rut second among the NASCAR and NBC crew. Nate Ryan still leading the way behind them. Roto World Stan Fever, Steve Letarte. Lee Diffie. I loved what Nate was doing on Twitter while I was watching the race. Genuinely surprised that he's still in our fantasy lead because he goes, um, who would you send to the garage? And to be honest with you, Parker, that is how I felt. Yeah. Because I, everybody that I put in there got, got knocked so out. So I posted my uh, team on Twitter. It looks very similar to Nate's. And all these fans wrote in and said, where are your underdogs? you got to put underdogs in. I'm like, yeah, you don't need those. Well, there won't be too many wrecks. And sure enough, obviously, we, everyone wrecked, basically. And the underdogs who, you know, sort of ride around the back, protect their cars, then took some great finishes. And that's how you get points. So I actually got the lowest score ever, I think, of 28 points. DJ, I totally screwed this up because I thought, all right, maybe a young driver has a shot. And I put Ryan Blaney in my garage. He is completely gone as well. I wasn't thinking Eric Jones, but I should have been. No, all of mine went out on lap 54 in that crash over there. I did have Harvick, that, and he wrecked later. But can we just go back and watch that Eric Jones interview? I, I can't see it too many times. It's what a awesome. great, just great emotion mm -hmm. in your first win. Yeah. And they, Dale Jr. say it's a big day for mullets this past Saturday. <laughs> you know what's also a big day is, is Rutledge Wood being second is a big day for the Fauxhawk. When's Rutledge Wood going to do a mullet? Oh, he's doing straight well, Fauxhawk right faux -hawk. now. Yeah. Okay. All right. It always has. All right. That's all for NASCAR America. You can always log into NBCSports.com slash NASCAR if you want some real NASCAR news. We'll be back Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern with Scan All Daytona and much more from such an exciting weekend at Daytona. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great night. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. 
Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.